Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's all stand. Go to the Lord in prayer. God is so good to us. Amen. Let's remember Pastor and Sister Blizzard. Let's keep them in prayer. God is so good to us. Amen. God, we praise you. We exalt you, Lord. We pray that you keep your hand on Pastor and Sister Blizzard, Lord. We pray that you touch each and every one of us that are here this morning for this first service, God. I pray, God, that you deal with our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord. Let us be impacted by your words today. God, let us understand what it means to truly live for you, God, not to look for shortcuts or things that uh, help us to live the way we want to live and not how you want us to live. But, God, let us understand the impact that we have on people's lives and that they watch us and they see us, Lord. God, we call on that name right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I am so thrilled to be here. Sister Aber and I went on a cruise with uh, the SoCal District. There was 30 couples that were on that cruise, maybe 32, I can't remember. But God really blessed me. When we got on the cruise, I began to... We, after we had eaten that, that supper, that dinner that we had, everybody would go to the Lido deck, and that's where they had all the pizza that later that night, but they'd be playing games and stuff. But I just walked around, and I started looking for people, and I found this couple, and uh, he was Spanish-speaking. He was wearing a cowboy hat. I wore a cowboy hat. There was only three of us on the whole ship that wore cowboy hats, so... We kind of had that connection, and we got to talking. I got to speak in Spanish to him, and he loved it, man. He loved it. His wife spoke good English. He did not. But we just talked, and wouldn't you know, his daughter comes up and son-in-law, and they walk up to us, and they began to talk to me, and I began to tell them, and uh, they're youth pastors in Dallas area, and I told them about, Brother Adam Martinez and how our kids are getting into the schools with their P7, right? Did I get that right, P7? They came in with their P7, and uh, I told them about that, and they were so excited. And I told them that Sister Aber was a hospice uh, chaplain and that she does uh, children that are dying with cancer and various different kinds of, uh, of uh, situations in their life, and that we were going to go into Ensenada and buy some maracas. And so uh, we didn't know anything that they were going to do. And the next day after we go to Ensenada, they looked me up and they said, uh, uh, Pastor Dan, they said, guess what? I said, what? They said, well, we found your wife 12 maracas and we bought them so that she can have them. Never met them before until that night before on that cruise. And, and they bought Sister Aber 12 maracas and they were so excited about it. And they exchanged their name. I sent my book to them and uh, electronic uh, version of it. And, man, they just opened up and they want to talk to Adam, uh, Brother Martinez. And uh, they're just excited. Then there was a couple, uh, three uh, young ladies my age and another couple a uh, little bit younger than us. And we, I ziplined. Sister Aber wouldn't zipline with me, but I ziplined. And. It's seven stages on Catalina Island. It was awesome. I, I, I would do it again. Uh, I keep saying that, but really I wouldn't. It's kind of like jumping off the stratosphere. Once you did it, it's really done. But it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, one of the ladies that was about my age, uh, she 
is, uh, has cancer. She's stage three, and she's not doing well. She had a transfusion, right? But she come on, so I would be the last one, the zip line out of, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six people. I'd be the last one. She'd be the next last one. And then the guy that was there, one of our guides that hooked us up, uh, he would be there, and we got to talking. I told her how God healed me. And this guy, man, he's sitting there listening to it the whole time. And, and I got everybody talking and laughing, and we just visited on each one of those stages. And after each stage that you were going, we'd sit and talk for a while and visit for a while. And he had explained to us about Catalina Island and all the plants that were there that aren't anywhere else and the animals that are there that aren't anywhere else. And... Man, we just had a great time. We all interacted. I had them just laughing and going and everything. And that girl, she began, a young lady, I should say, she began to just open up to me, and I began to tell her, and I prayed for her. And uh, that night when we got back on the ship, we were eating dinner, and I walked over to found her table, and she introduced me to her husband and all the other group, the ladies that were there. There was two Sheilas and a... Uh, I think it was Lori Ann was one of them. And, and we got to talking and laughing, and they got to talking about uh, how good of a time they had because of uh, the interaction. Well, the guy that was guiding us and hooking us up, he said, man, we've never had a group like this before. You really uh, brought everybody together. And so I got to tell him my testimony, and I sent him my book also. And God just began to open doors like that. And then the other couple that was with us the last night, they came up to me and thanked me for talking to them. And I gave them my card, and they gave me theirs, and I sent them the book. And uh, just all these open doors began to open up for us. And, and I want you to know that no matter where you're at, if you'll just be conscious of what's around you and look for people who have needs, God will help you meet the need at the point of the need. Amen? And that's what happened there. And then we get up this morning, and when we got up this morning, uh, Sister Aver was checking her Facebook. And the, how many of y'all remember the story I tell about the young man and the young lady that I had witnessed to him? And then the next day there was a fire, and they both got burnt real bad. She was a model, and uh, she was burnt horribly bad. Ears, but nose, lips burned off. And, and uh well, he uh, sent Sister Aber, I don't know what you call it, one of those little, uh, yeah, messages, I guess. And it said that, uh, Danny, uh, when you come into Texas, I'd really like to talk to you. There's some things I want to talk to you about. It's, uh, I just need to talk to you about where I'm going with my life and everything. And, and I really would appreciate if we could get together. And so I called him on the way to church, and I talked to Jolene, and Man, he opened up to me, and he said, you know, me and Donna Gail, they're divorced now. Uh, but he said, Donna Gail and I are still good friends because they had a, uh, two children together. And he said, you know, uh, Danny, he said, uh, uh, she was just talking about that experience she had that when she was dying, she said she was dying. And, and you walked into that room, and you laid hands right on the side of her, and she was burnt, horribly burnt. And that's when, remember, the tear ducts worked, which are not supposed to work when you burn that bad. And she said she was dying, but she remembers, she told Jolene specifically, she remembers how God touched her and God lifted her back to that place that she could remember what was going on. And 
She said, I really thought I was gone, JoLynn. I'd really like to talk to Danny. So he's sending me his, her, her, and, uh, her uh, phone number. And she lives right by my daughter, Leslie. So when I go in there this coming week, I'm going to call her and see if I can set up. So keep her in prayer also. But see, God is working on people in this last day. And we have to understand that we have to live for God. You never know who's going to uh, meet. Now, this happened in 1981, so it's been that long since I've talked to her. And now she's hungry. She wants to talk to me. I want you to understand how important this is that you'll understand that people are watching you, even though it might have been years ago that you witnessed to them, now all of a sudden you see them. You understand who they are, and now they're looking towards you. Amen. I believe God is stirring up this country. I believe there's a revival that's going to come, and we have to make sure that we're not seeking reformation, but repentance. Amen. And that's what we've been talking about. The fallacy of reformation, reformation of a goal. This is where we finished up. We talked about the reformation of gold depends on fear for its power. So you remember when I talked about the, in 1988, this guy wrote a book, 88 Reasons God's Coming Back in 1988, and everybody got scared, and people flooded our churches, and you can't find a handful out of the thousands that prayed through because they prayed through out of fear thinking Jesus was coming. So they sought out reformation. They sought out how they could come and, and, and they could uh, uh, just, you know, oh, God, forgive me. But they didn't ask God to take away their sins. They, they prayed, but they didn't pray that God would change them. Amen. And as soon as the fear left, they began to backslide and go back out into the world. Now you can't hardly talk to them because they're really bitter. They Well, I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe... He's coming back. And the Bible said that now they ought to really believe because the Bible says that you don't know the hour that he's coming back. Now that you don't have that book telling you when he's coming back and you're running to the church to make things right, all of a sudden now is when you better get right with God because he's coming in an hour that you think not. That's when he's coming. Amen. And so we talked about that reformation's failure. Reformation of your goals. Desired results is essential, but it will not solve the problem. See, that's the problem. Everybody wants this uh, reformation, and your goal is a desired results. Oh, if I can just be good enough, then God's going to accept me, but it doesn't work that way. Amen. It doesn't solve the problem. Them getting scared and running to the church did not solve their spiritual problem, did not solve what was going on in their hearts, in their minds, in their life. They just came out of fear, but it didn't solve the problem. The problem was still there. They were out of relationship with God. See, a lot of people, man, they get so hung up on this Sabbath. They, they, they just get crazy about the Sabbath. you got to worship God on the Sabbath. You don't even know what the Sabbath is. You, you don't. Oh, the Sabbath, that's a day that you, no, no. Sabbath was for <clears throat> restoration. It was a time that you were able to restore that, that period of time, your, restore your relationship with God, but it didn't stop there. It was a time for you to restore your relationship with your wife. 
It's a time to restore your relationship with your children. It's about restoration, restoring, getting that, that second wind to do what's right, to be in connection with God, to be in connection with your family, to be in connection with your children. That's why people backslide. That's why marriages fall apart. That's why people can't stand their wives or their husbands anymore is because they never had that restoration time, that restoring they think it's a 24-hour period. Well, if it's a 24-hour period, Israel has theirs a day earlier than us. If it's 24 hours, you better do it the same time they do it because they're the ones that are still living under the law. Boy, I just lost some of y'all just tuned me out like that. That's fine. You go seek after that 24 period. But my Sabbath is when I stop and slow down and I restore. I get that restoration with God and and I make that connection with God and let him deal with things in my life. And then I make that connection with my wife. And I, I make sure that our life's been restored together. That we're on the same page and we love the same things. And we desire the same things. And then I'm on page with my children. I call them a bunch now and tell them how proud I am and how much I love them. Because that's that period. That's my Sabbath of restoration where I can restore those relationships. So goals, <coughs> goals are the result of motives. Ignoring the weed uh, or pretending that it doesn't exist uh, will not make it go away. Have you ever had weeds around your house just pretending they don't exist ain't going to make them go away, amen? Weeds thrive when they're neglected. And see, that's how it is in our walk with God. When we are seeking reformation, Instead of repentance, that means we're neglecting the weed, thinking that if I can do something good, if I can do right, if I can have this self-righteousness, then everything's going to be okay. But that weed thrives in that, that time where it's uh, being neglected. In other words, you can do good for a while, but it is not our nature to do good. Amen? That's why God said he's going to create you to be a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You have to come to that place that you're willing to accept him in all areas of your life. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. Notice, for what the law could not do. See, a lot of people, they... They want to live under the law. That's why they think a Sabbath is, is so important to them because they want to live under the law. So let's take a look. It says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and of sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are, uh, are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of the better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. So the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. 
by the which we draw nigh unto God. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses brought them the law to make them remember sin. But when Jesus came, he brought grace and truth. It came by Jesus Christ. Now, grace there doesn't mean unmerited favor. If you're its charis, it means that divine influence upon the heart that reflects out of your life. So what it says is, for the law was given to Moses, but the grace, but grace, the divine influence upon your heart that reflects out, and truth came by Jesus Christ. That influence that God has on you causes you to be able to live for him and to be an example to this world. You're not following the law anymore. you got grace and truth, and that's what makes a difference in people's life. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law caused them to have to recognize sin every year to where they would offer up a sacrifice, did not do away with it under the law. It rolled it ahead for another year. And it always brought to remembrance that. It always brought to remembrance. But see, that's what's so great about Jesus Christ. He brought grace and truth to us. And our sins, once we ask him to forgive us, it no longer is going to be rolled ahead. He takes it and throws it behind his back. He throws it, the Bible said, as far as the east is from the west. And that's not like us around. It means in opposite directions through eternity. And oh, he says he drops it in the sea of forgetfulness. And then he says, he said, I'll tell you where that sea is. It's behind my back. And if God's omnipresence, if God is everywhere, and God's omniscient, tell me who can get the back of God to get your sins. So when you repent of it, you're not just rolling them ahead like under the law, but you're taking those sins to God. He takes them and throws them behind the back, and it says no fishing. The devil can't try to fish your past. It's gone. It's over. When the devil comes to you and says, oh, you remember, Danny, in 1979, you did all those drugs and you used God's name in vain. And I'd say, prove it. Prove it, devil. Show me. Well, where is it at? Let me tell you something. You don't have to live under condemnation. Don't you let the devil try to drag your past up because he can't get it. He can't. All he can do, he can mention it, but it's under the blood. It's behind God's back. He can't pull that back. Tell him, prove it. He can't prove it. You know why? I've got a hope, man. God got a hold of me. He turned my life around. He's given me something to live for, Amen. Now we know that the thing whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under law, that every mouth shall be stopped, and all the world may know that may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh be justified in his sight. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law does give you that knowledge. But notice 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's why God, did, he didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law. That's why he said, if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor, thus frustrating the grace of God. You're not under the law. You don't have to keep going back and repenting from it. When God forgives you, throws it behind his back, don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't go back and, and whine and cry about something you did in the past. It's gone. Amen? See, that's how important it is. Galatians 3.19, wherefore... Then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions. Now the law was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. God sent a mediator to us. He tore down the middle wall of partition that kept us back from God. That's what Jesus did, friend. I'm not worried about the law. I want to know what Jesus has done in my life and how he set me free. He set me free. Amen. He broke the bonds of prison for me. Man, God wants to do something special in your life. Notice 1 Timothy 1.9. It says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Oh, looky there. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers. That's who the law's for, amen? So let's take a look. Why reformation is desired. It's desired, reformation, not repentance. It's desired because it, it brings legalism. See, that's where legalism comes in at. I want you to listen to this real close. The dependence on rules and penalties becomes necessary because reformation of motives fails to produce proper fruit. In other words, you cannot produce proper fruit on your own out of your actions. So motives, the root problems, James uh, 1.14 says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of what? His own lust. So don't blame God when you do something. You're drawn away of your own lust. It's your own lust. He set you free. He delivered you. But every man's drawn away of his own lust. Lust should be defined as a strong desire, a strong, any strong desire, any strong desire. Everyone has the motivation to fulfill strong natural desires. Everyone has is also contaminated with the motivation to fulfill natural desires by methods available at the time. That's why the devil tries to get you out of relationship with God so that he can tempt you and cause you to seek that, even though it's, not a, it's a natural desire, but he's trying to get you to seek after that, to fulfill it in your own way and not fulfill it in God's way. See, God will cause you to walk away from that. God will cause you to say, uh-uh, I'm drawing close to God. He separated me from that. 
But when you're not in relationship with him, you seek after that to fulfill that. So everyone has the motivation to fulfill strong natural desires. Everyone is also contaminated with the, the, the motivation to fulfill natural desires by any method available at the time. So this contamination can also include some strong unnatural desires and the desire to fulfill them. So the drawing away, the enticement, and conception of lust is possible because lust abides within the heart. Lust abides within the heart. So reformation of motive, notice its regulations. Reformation's deepest, most spiritual, and most effective effort is the attempt to deny existence to the power or, or to the fulfillment of lust through enlightened or extreme legalism. In other words, you try to deny it. I can handle it. I, I'm not going to let this take over me. I'm not going to allow this to cause me to, to let this become a habit. I'm just going to do it one time, and I'll take care of it, but that's not how it works. So Reformation's deep, deepest and most spiritual and most ineffective effort is to attempt to deny the existence. And how do you do that? Through extreme legalism. Oh, what I'll do is I'll make it illegal. I'll, I'll, I'll make a law. I, I'll bring a law up, and if you don't follow the law, then it's going to cause you to fear that you're going to do right. But that's what the Jews did. That's what Israel did all these years, and they still aren't doing right because they're under the law. That can't bring peace. That can't bring uh, a relationship with God. So it's creating the passing and enforcing of legislation which prohibits alternatives to right existence. In other words, <clears throat> when you try to legalize, when you have to have a legal uh, uh, law that says you can't do something, uh, it, it stops God from being able to give you the alternative to do right. Because you think you can do it on your own. As long as I keep this law, I'm okay. And you struggle with it. You struggle with your mind, your heart. You struggle with temptation. And you think, man, why I keep struggling with this? Because you're not moving in the relationship with God. You're using something that uh, the law that has been uh, set before you that says you can't do that. So some people say, man, I, I can't have fun anymore because I'm in church. I can't. I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, then you're under the law, friend. You're under the law. If you want to be bound by sin, keep living that way. If you want to be bound by the things of this world, keep living that way. If you want to be held hostage to your habits, then live that way. But that's what he's talking about. It's an attempt to fight wrong motives by passing laws to prohibit everything bad. It is the practice of self-denial through isolation of the world. See, a lot of people say, oh, if I can just isolate myself, if I can just stay away from, from bad people, well, what are you going to do? Quit talking to your family that's lost? You're going to quit talking to people on the job? You're going to quit uh, uh, talking to them and moving, trying to get a relationship with them because, oh, I, I can't be around those kind of people because I'm tempted. That's because you're under the law. Because you haven't conquered that yet. You think just because you can't do something, well, I'm not going to hang around anybody. So you try to isolate yourself from the world. It's abstinence and reclusiveness in any of the variety of adaptable forms. In other words, I, 
I'm just not going to go. Man, I I know they asked me to come over to their house and pray for their kids, but man, uh, they're not living right. I can't go into that atmosphere because they have a TV or they have this or they have that. And we, we, we move out of relationship with people because we're scared we might fall. Stay with me. It's attempting to remove the potential to be enticed and replacing it with a more powerful desire to enjoy the benefits of righteousness. In other words, well, if I just don't go uh, anywhere, if I don't go to the places where sinners are, well, don't go to an in and out don't go to a store to buy your clothes. Just let them just rot and wear off of you. See, that's what happens when you start thinking that way. You can't go anywhere. Oh, I can't go there because there's going to be sinners there. Well, you know what? There's sinners in this church. Its purpose is to create and or amplified the desire to enjoy the benefits of righteousness until it is stronger motivation than sinful desires. In other words, if I can just keep doing good, then I won't have sinful desires until you get in front of your computer again or until you see something or until you desire to go somewhere that you know is not right. It lasts real good as long as you're isolated or you're, you're, you're caught into this realm where nothing's around you. You know... When you got a mule that was plowing in a field, <clears throat> what did they put on those mules? <clears throat> they put blinders on it. So it wouldn't be distracted by anything. It would just plow straight ahead. It wouldn't be, <clears throat> it wouldn't be distracted. <clears throat> and living for God, the devil wants you to put blinders on so you can't see the world. You can't see sinners. Bless God, I go to church and I go home and I, I just keep these blinders on and, and I'm not going to be a part of this world. I'm not going to live in this world. And see, that's, the, that, that's the, the sad thing. That's why Christianity's dying. Oh, Brother Aber, don't say, I'm telling you, if we don't have revival, nobody is. Amen? <clears throat> so let's take a look. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights into the world. God's saying, take your blinders off. Quit trying to... Live righteous on your own. Learn how to trust him. Learn how to sell out to him. Learn how to be a new creature in Christ. Quit trying to live righteous. Quit trying to do what you want to do in your way. And Well, God's going to forgive me if I stumble and fall. And, and, but I'm just always, no, no, he's telling us that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and diverse, a perverse nation, among whom ye shine as the lights in the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany 
with fornicators. Oh, that's right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk to fornicators. I'm not gonna talk to to anybody with immorality in their life. So he's telling us, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany fornicators. Notice what verse ten says, though. Yet not all together with fornicators in this world are with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. He said, you know what? I'm just telling you that you're going to be in this world. Quit being intimidated by the world. You need to intimidate the world. Amen. Quit being intimidated by people's sin. You ought to intimidate them with what God can do to their sin. Amen. You serve a God that can change this world. This world can't change me because I'm full of God's grace and truth. Amen. Amen. Man, somebody ought to shout praise the Lord. John 17, 14 through 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest uh, keep them from the evil. They are, not, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. That was what Jesus said. He said, I'm not praying that God takes you out of the world. He said, I'm not going to do that. You need to be in this world. The only hope they have is for you. That's why... Uh, people today, they just get married and divorced and they don't think anything about it. Well, Brother Aber, uh, they're not living for God and I'm tired of them not living for God. I'm sorry. You're the only hope they have. If they're not committing adultery, if they're not just uh, beating you to, uh, I mean, if they ever lay a hand on you, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying, if they're just not living for God, the only hope they have is you. And that's how Paul deals with that. Amen. Let's take a look. So he said, I'm not going to take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He said, that's just so they'll be not in the world, just like I'm not in the world, okay? Now notice Matthew 5, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city that was set on a hill cannot be hid. You're the light of a world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hid. That's what the Bible says. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they put it on the candlestick and they give it light to all that are in the house. You are not supposed to hide your light. You are supposed to let it shine. Amen. You're a city set on a hill. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you, when they see that, they know there's a place they can run to, just like Joe Lynn. After how many years has it been since 1981 that that happened in their life? And all of a sudden, he calls me. You know what he calls me? Because he knows that I'm a city that's set on the hill. My light's still shining. He didn't call his old pastor. He didn't call other people that he went to the Assembly of God church with. But he called me. You know why? I was the one that showed up and walked in that room with the faith that God was going to heal him and his wife. Amen. I'm the one that said, I want you to know that God's not through with you. God, But Brother Aber, they never came to God. I don't care. That's not my job. My job is not to hide my candle. And 30 something years later they call me and say I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. I need to talk to you about what's going to go on in the rest of them. Come on. Somebody ought to get excited. Somebody ought to say you know what? I'm not hiding my light under a bushel. I'm not going to stop. 
And quit seeking reformation. Quit living under the law, something that you can't do. No matter how good you are, no matter how much righteous things you try to do, you're never going to be good enough under the law because it's going to keep bringing that sin to remembrance. So look, uh, 18.6, no man then when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel, but putteth it under, or putteth it under the bed, but seeketh it out, or sitteth it out on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see it, may see the light. They can see the light. See, your family needs to see the light. My brother, after 30-something years of watching me, calls me and says, Danny, I want to thank you so much for never changing. Every Christmas or Thanksgiving we got together, you were always the same. You never changed. And he said, I just wanted you to be the first one to know that Tammy and I got baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And God's called him to preach now. And that was after 30-something. Let me tell you something. It's not up to me. I plant, I water, and God gives the increase. Amen. But my light shined for 30-something years. I never put it under a bushel. I always made sure that it gave a light to all that are in the house. Luke eleven thirty three. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they which come in might see the light. Colossians 2, 20, and we're going to go all the way to 3, 16. Notice what it says. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to the ordinances? So you're living in the world, but if you're dead to Christ, why are you trying to live to the ordinance of this world? Why are you allowing the laws of this world to cause you so much grief and heartache and pain? Amen? Notice, touch not, taste not, handle not, which, are all, uh, which all are to perish with the using. After the commandments and the doctrines of men. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care what these progressive preachers are coming out saying. Oh, you don't have to live that way. And you don't have to live holy. And you, you don't have to have holiness in your life. It's what you believe. I got news for you, friend. This word of God is of no private interpretation, the Bible says. Amen. It's the word of God. And you better live that word of God because there's going to come a judgment day. And you're going to be, the flowers and the grass are going to wither and fade away. But the Bible said, his word will last forever. And you're not going to get out of this without being judged by that word. Notice, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and in will worship and humility and neglecting the body. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Notice verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. There's nothing in this world that's going to bring me peace. There's nothing in this world that's going to bring me happiness. Amen. The world is done. It's three things. It's come to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You will not live an abundant life in this world. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. It's going to come and tear you down. But oh, if you'll let Jesus Christ become your answer. If you let him become the reason you're going to live in this world, <clears throat> you're going to have life and life more abundantly. So it says, set your affections on the things above and not on things earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, 
then shall we also appear with him in glory. Amen. Notice what it says next. Verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. In other words, mortify means crush, destroy. That's what David said. A broken and a contrite spirit is what God He don't delight in you trying to offer sacrifices. He doesn't delight you come to church and clap your hands when you haven't got a broken and a contrite heart. He's telling you, mortify, crush, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedient. Now notice verse 7. In the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with these deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in what? The knowledge after the image of him that created him. I got news for you, friend. I know we like to say, oh, you got to get the Holy Ghost. You got to speak in tongues. You got to get baptized. But you look in that Bible how many times it's the knowledge. You got to know who he is. You got to know who you worship. I know y'all get tired of me hearing me say this, but on the day of Pentecost, he did not preach Acts 2.38. I know people don't like that. Because they like the emotional side of it. But he said, therefore, verse 36, therefore, you got to know what the therefore is there for. He took those Israelites all through their history up until the prophet Joel, stammered lips in another tongue. He took them all the way through there, and he said, Therefore, now, because of all of this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, heard what? That they needed to get baptized in Jesus' name? That they needed the Holy Ghost? That they needed to repent? Is that what they heard? They hadn't heard that yet. He hadn't even said it yet. When they heard this, what? That Jesus was both Lord and Christ. They were pricked in their hearts. And they said, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them. Man, they were broken by revelation. And see, that's what he's telling us right here. He's telling us that very same thing. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Because when you, when you walk away from truth, when you try to live a life of reformation, when you try to say, um, I'm just going to do it my own way. And when you sin, you're made in the image of who? Come on. You're made in the image of who? God. So when you come to God and you repent, it's like looking in a mirror. Man, you got dirt. You got the world all over you. And you repent because you know who he is. You're broken by it. So you're cleaning yourself up. And man, you're made in his image. 
Man, he purifies you. He cleanses you. And then what happens is, is you kind of stray away from him. You hide your light under a bushel. You no longer are impacting the world. You begin to allow things in your life. Have you ever went to your mirror in the bathroom and it's got smudge marks on it? Have you, has that ever happened to anybody? Is that just me? Come on. None of you, I, I want you to raise your hand if that ever happened to you. Come on. I know you young people don't because mama cleans it. But what do you do when you see smudge marks? You clean it off so that you can have a clear image. And see, that's how it is living for God. He's purified us. He's cleansed us. We're made in his image, but when we no longer follow after him, the world puts a smudge mark on our testimony, on our our relationship with God, and God can't see himself in us until we go from reformation to repentance. Quit trying to say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. There's still a smudge there. How many of y'all ever had a nice dress shirt and you ate spaghetti and you got, (laughs) and you got a spot on you, but nobody could see it but you, but it bothers you because you know it's there. And see, that's like living for God, man. When you you serve sin, when you allow the devil to take you away from your relationship with God, when you think, I'm going to live under reformation and not repentance, You get a stain. Nobody else might know it's there, but you know God does. And he said, if you're going to make it to heaven, you can't have a spot or blemish. When he looks at you, is he seeing the smudge mark? Is he seeing immorality? Is he seeing something in your life, a habit that you haven't conquered because you haven't given it to him, but you keep trying to do righteous, you keep trying to do good, and it keeps coming back and whooping you because it's a habit? 